The parable of the prodigal son is the story of two sons who thought they didn't need their father's love, or the story of how the acceptance of love restores us to our birthright. At this time in Luke's Gospel, the scribes and the Pharisees were becoming ever more hostile toward Jesus, and in this reading they attempt to discount his growing popularity by saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And in response, Jesus tells them three parables about what is lost or about eating with sinners. We get the idea that we are going to hear about the restoration of the lost in the first reading when we hear God's discussion with Joshua, who is, as you may recall, an Israeli spy sent by God and Moses to do a reconnaissance mission in Canaan. After the death of Moses, Joshua leads the Israelites out of Egypt and fights the famous battle of Jericho. In this reading, we hear God telling Joshua that he has forgiven the Israelites for their faithless ways in Egypt and restored them to their status as the holy people of God, and that now, in the ways of the ancient cultures, the Israelites live from the produce of their own land, which means they are a free and fully vested people. God's love has returned, and they are reconciled. So it comes as little surprise that the gospel reading concerns the restoration of two sons to shalom, or to righteous peace, through the forgiving love of a father. Jesus' response to the contemptuous derision of the Pharisees that he eats with tax collectors and other sinners is to tell this story of a father whose sons disgrace and discredit him in every way. The younger son announces that he wishes to treat his father as though he were dead, takes half of his estate, cutting in half the wealth of the father and the rest of the family, and embarks on a course of hedonistic materialism, and ends by selling out to the Gentiles. Work with pigs, the scripture says, meaning not with Jews, with Gentiles. Selling one's birthright to the Gentiles was an occasion of complete dishonor. One's entire village would disown someone who did that. The son realizes that he is in trouble. Why? Because he runs out of money. And he now envies his father's slaves who have more to eat than he does. So he hatches a plan to get back into the father's good graces. Not to repent, mind you, but to get his father to put him back on the payroll. When his father sees the son coming back, he runs. He runs, as no Middle Eastern patriarch would ever do, to the edge of the village where the son is and put shoes on his feet. Shoes on the feet means not a slave. And a ring, gives him a ring. Rings mean the, are the seal of official business documents. And to have a ring means one is authorized to be a representative of the family once more. The father says he was dead and is alive again. This means that the father has brought him back to life by reinstating him in the family before the village can disown him. It is the act of repentance that we are talking about here. And it is not the repentance of the son begging for mercy. It is the repentance he, he shows in accepting his father's love and mercy. Repentance is accomplished through the acceptance of costly love. This son has cost his father half his estate and a great deal of pride, but the father has allowed him to have what he wanted, even knowing, as he certainly must have done, that the son couldn't manage that. 
The father accepts the son's attempt to treat him and the village and the family as if they were dead. He then protects him from the condemnation of the village and restores him to full citizenship. But we are not privy to how the younger son coped with this overwhelming generosity because in the meantime, the virtuous older brother or the scribes and Pharisees have been becoming unglued with rage over this event. The elder brother, with whom I must acknowledge I more commonly identify, <laughs> views the younger brother with the same scorn as the, view, as the Pharisees view tax collectors, Gentiles, women, children, and dogs. And he sees his father as the Pharisees see Jesus, someone who completely neglects those who have been loyal to him in favor of those who have not. The older brother's brand of loyalty has everything to do with scrupulous, obsessive, compulsive observance of the law, diligent attention to the proper social and religious conventions, and a hard hardened to anyone who is not just the same way. What's love got to do with it? He has no love in his heart. He is expecting salvation based on that scrupulosity. He will climb to the top over the backs of others. As we know, the older son stages a major embarrassment when he calls his father out at the party for the deal the father brokered with the younger son. This kind of affront to a patriarch in Mideastern culture in those days is unheard of. This public humiliation, this accusation of treason, reveals the extent of the son's arrogance, the extent of his belief that he can live without love, as long as he keeps the law. Jesus' answer is clear in this parable. Not only does the father reconcile the younger son to himself with great ceremony, but he leaves the banquet just to try to establish peace again with the older son. So this is a father who is concerned about sons who stray from the family and even leave the tribe and go to the Gentiles, but he is also generous to the sons who feel entitled to the larger share. It is really tempting to see these readings as guilt-inducing. We know that God has been portrayed in the Old Testament as hurt and wrathful at the infidelity of the Israelites while they were in Egypt worshiping other idols. God is injured by that betrayal. We hear that the father in the parable gives away his money, his pride, his place in the community, his stature as a patriarch in order to reconcile his sons. It costs him to bring these boys back to life. Are we then to feel guilty about the cost of our salvation? I think we could agree, looking around us, that the use of guilt by the institutional church as a means of keeping people in line does not produce good results. I think that there is another way of seeing it, and that is that God is affected by what we do. God is actually in relationship with us. God is not merely waiting for us to come to our senses and get on with the kingdom. God is becoming God with us, developing with us and among us. So when it seems as if Easter will never get here, when life seems like an endless Lent, it might be time to reaffirm who we are. It might be time to remember that we are fully vested members in the family of God, the God who would do anything to bring us home again. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. 
We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.